Great. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be starting a brand new series this morning talking about the new covenant in my blood, the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be talking about that this morning. We apologize for a little bit of a late start this morning. We're about 10 minutes late. I'll make that up at the end. Um, but at the same point in time, uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website, lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, excuse me, Lighthouse Discipleship uh, Center, excuse me, and then, uh, so that's the, that's the YouTube channel. And we also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us, with your, your tithes, your offerings, your contributions, and in case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website, lighthousediscipleship.org. In the top right corner, it says give. It's highlighted in blue. It's a blue button. And you click that, you can give them anywhere around the world. If you'd rather send us a check, simply make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And on the bottom foot of every page on our website is our mailing address. And if you're in the United States, just so you know, your, all of your uh, contributions are 100% tax deductible, as we are a 503 church. And we thank you for those contributions. I don't say this a lot, but we have over 14,000 people worldwide who watch our teachings uh, throughout the week. And they might not all be here on live, live on Facebook or YouTube or whatnot, uh, but they are. We have we have dozens of podcasts. We have our website, and we have many different platforms where our messages are being presented around the world. Okay, here in the United States as well as around the world. So we thank you for your partnership with that so people around the world can hear the gospel of Jesus. And that's what we're here preaching, that's what we're here teaching, and that's what we're all about. <coughs> so excuse me. All right, well, like I said, we're going to start a brand new teaching series this morning. And I've entitled this, A New Covenant in My Blood. And that, that phrase, uh, which is the title of our series, comes from 1 Corinthians 11.25. And we'll get there in just a second. <coughs> but let me read the context of that. And the context is found when Paul was talking about communion. And it begins in verse 23. 1 Corinthians 11, 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, said Take heed, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. <coughs> we talked a lot about this in, in times past, but let's get to verse 25. Verse 25 says, In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This <coughs> excuse me again, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. That's the title of our message. We'll come back to that. This do as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you. And many sleep. In other words, many die. Okay, we've taught on this uh, whole context many times throughout the years, and I'm going to come back and I will uh, recap a lot of that teaching in this series. I'm not going to focus on that today, this morning. I want to go back to verse 25, which is the springboard, which is the title of our message this morning. 
when Jesus said, this is the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, this do as often as you eat, as you drink, excuse me, and remember some me. But again, the phrase that this Jesus is saying is uh, Paul's quoting from Jesus, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus said this in Matthew 26, but Matthew's recording of it, but this is my blood of the new covenant. And that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about the blood of the new covenant. We're going to be talking about the covenant, the new covenant, and we're talking about the blood. And those are not two different topics. Because Jesus said, my blood of the new covenant. Paul said it this way in his, his recording, the new covenant in my blood. Those two things are one and the same. Okay, so we're going to <coughs> excuse me again. We're going to be talking about in this new series, we're going to be talking about this new covenant. And we're going to be talking about the blood of Jesus. Okay. You know, Sherry and I, uh, uh, a few years back while we were in Illinois, we were part of a church, you know, a great church. But one thing that the pastor had told us uh, and told others, that he didn't want too much teaching on the blood of Jesus. Because he thought he was trying to reach some church, and that was it was confusing to them, it was gory to them. And I don't know about you, and no disrespect to that pastor, I don't want to be part of any church that doesn't talk about the blood of Jesus. This is the cornerstone. This is the cornerstone of the new covenant. If we don't talk about the blood of Jesus, we don't have anything to talk about. Okay, this is, uh, the, the, the blood of Jesus is it's not a basic teaching. It's not some side teaching. It is the teaching. It is the gospel of Christ. Okay, and I'm going to elaborate on, on that in just a few more few moments throughout this series. Okay, it's impossible to put value on the blood of Jesus. Okay, let me just let, say some things here off the bat. The blood of Jesus is a price that was paid for the redemption of the entire world. If we don't talk about the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus is a price that was paid for the redemption of the entire world. Is the entire world saved? No. Because not, the entire world has not received that payment. Has not received that propitiation. The payment was made for them, but they rejected it. Because they rejected Jesus. They rejected the blood. They rejected the propitiation. If, so, if you had a car or a house, and someone paid your payment for you, but you said, no, I'm not, I, I reject their payment on my behalf, you have a right to reject it. Okay? The payment was made for you, but if you reject the payment, then you're still owed the bank. But how do you know if you, if you receive that payment, it would be silly for you to go back to the bank and keep making payments on that car and on home or that mortgage because the payment has been made. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus paid the full price of our, debt, our sin debt by his blood. And when we remove, talk about the blood of Jesus, we have removed the whole entire gospel of Christ. We have re removed the whole new covenant. We have removed everything. And we are all, and without the blood of Jesus, we are all going to hell. Okay, that's all of us. And so we are all guilty. We all, there's none righteous. No, not one. We're all guilty without the blood of Jesus. But, there, but Jesus did come. He, did, he was born of a virgin. 
And what does that mean? It means, see, the seed doesn't come from, Jesus was not born from Adam's seed. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That's the whole Christmas story. Okay? It's the male that has the seed, not the, not, 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 the, not the female. Jesus was not born of corruptible seed, but he was born of incorruptible seed by the Word of God. We, too, who are born, born again, we are born again not by corruptible seed, but the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. 1 Peter 1.23 <coughs> Excuse me again. And so, Jesus came as if God himself paid our sins with his own blood. And he redeemed us back into a right relationship with God because of Jesus. Okay? G Peter says it this way. We get there. First Peter, excuse me. Alright. Here we go. First Peter 1, 18 to 19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with the corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your, your aimless conduct and received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus, who not only did no sin, but there was no sin in his nature. He didn't have Adam's nature. He didn't have man's nature in him. He was he, he humbled himself to become the Son of Man. That's all spelled out in Philippians chapter one and other scriptures. But he's also the Son of God. Okay? And so we have not been redeemed with corruptible things, but we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Okay, you can't pay, you can't buy this redemption with silver and gold. You can't buy this redemption with anything you can do. You have to receive this grace, this redemption by faith in the blood of Jesus and what Jesus did for you. What's so significant about the blood? <coughs> Excuse me, Leviticus says it this way. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. This is Old Testament. See, the whole idea of the blood of the Lamb is not just a New Testament concept. It was also an Old Testament concept. It was, a, it was instituted in the law as a foreshadow of the real thing. Okay? But the life is in the flesh, is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. This is not a new concept. This is a better concept than the new covenant, but this is not a new concept. It goes on to say, verse 14, For it is the life of all flesh, the blood sustains its life. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, You shall not eat the blood of any flesh. <coughs> Excuse me, for the life of all flesh is in the blood, and the reeds that should be cut off. He's, he's talking about a different concept here that we're not supposed to eat flesh, okay? But in the midst of talking about that, he talked about how the blood sustains us in life and how life of all flesh is in the blood. It's not, that's not a new concept. That's an Old Testament concept. That's how God created the human body, okay? That's how God created us. But if you take, go forward to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with the blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Remission, excuse me. 
again, the book, the book of Hebrews is written to the Hebrews, is written to the Jews. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to bring everything that the law represents, everything, the, the, everything from the, the, the Old Testament into a better covenant, into a new covenant. And he says that all things are purified with the blood. There's only one thing that can make you holy. There's only one thing that can make you righteous, and that is the blood of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That's an Old Testament concept. That's a New Testament concept. Okay? <coughs> but the writer of Hebrews, if you read Hebrews chapter 8, 9, and 10, especially, you'll see how we've been transitioned from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, they, they did blood, bulls, and goats to atone for sins for, and they had to repeat that process every year. But Jesus came and died once and for all, and that process does not need to be repeated. Jesus gave us not only redemption, but he also gave us an eternal redemption. We're going to get into that as well. All things are purified with blood. Only the blood of Jesus is what purifies you, not you, not your behavior. If you are doing good, it's because of Jesus living inside of you, not you. The food, temperance is the food of the spirit, not the food of the flesh. Okay? And so it's Jesus that purifies you. Okay? The, so we talked about in Leviticus how the blood is a life-giving part of man. And that life comes from God. Okay? God gave us life. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay? And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Let's take it a step further. In Ephesians 1 7, in Him, in Jesus, we have the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. One of the key verses that we're going to be using in this study is Ephesians 1 7. Okay? As well as some others. Because the way Paul says this in Ephesians 1-7, he just hits the nail right on the head. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Your forgiveness, your redemption is all tied up into the blood of Jesus. Jesus and his blood alone is what's provided to you redemption, salvation, forgiveness, everything that goes with that. And we're going to be elaborating on that in just a moment. Paul repeats the same thing in Colossians. In whom, talking about Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. <coughs> Excuse me. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. You don't want to talk about the blood of Jesus. You have, we have nothing to talk about because it's in the blood of Jesus that we are redeemed. And we have the forgiveness of sins. Again, we got several verses here, again, going back to Hebrews, just for a moment. Hebrews, beginning verse chapter 8, verses 12 to 13. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. That's what the new covenant says. We'll spend more time with this later. But the, <coughs> but the new covenant is all about God's mercy. Okay? And how he will remember our sins no more. In that he says, a new covenant. 
That, that's not my terminology. That's, that's God's terminology. A new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Okay? Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12 says, Not with the blood of goats and the calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all, having attained the total redemption. I'm skipping through a lot of detail. Hopefully we'll have time to come back to some of this in, in, in later sessions. But what I'm trying to point out is that we have a new covenant. Okay? Where God says that we will be merciful to us. He won't remember our sins no more. And it's not because in the Old Testament they used blood and goats, but in the New Testament it's, it's with his own blood, not the blood of animals. Having attained eternal redemption. Eternal. It's not natural. You can't touch it. Nobody can touch my redemption. It's eternal. It's forever. Okay? And it's, it was paid by an eternal blood, the, the blood of Jesus. Okay? Goes on to say, verse 15, for the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers sprinkling on the clean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. In other words, he's saying, if in the Old Testament the blood of bulls and goats could sanctify you for a year, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God? <coughs> Excuse me. Cleanse your conscience, your dead works to serve the living God. If in the Old Testament, blood and goats was sufficient to atone for your sins, how much more shall the blood of Jesus, if an animal could, could be sacrificed for your sins in the Old Testament, how much more in this new covenant, the new covenant of his blood, shall we receive an eternal redemption through Jesus Christ? goes on to say, verse 26, He then would have had to suffer since often since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus, see, Jesus, his blood is different than anyone else's blood. He's not like animals. He's not like mankind in the sense of uh, being born from Adam. He, didn't he doesn't have to suffer over over again once a year. But he has once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The blood of Jesus. This is the new covenant. For chapter 10. <coughs> excuse me, verse 14. For by the one offering he hath perfected forever those who are being sanctified. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds and I will write them. And then he adds their sins and their loyalties I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these there is no longer offering for sin. This is deep. And we're going to spend some more time with, with a lot of this as we talk about his eternal redemption we have. But this is the covenant. The covenant of his blood is that he has put his laws in our hearts and our minds and he has written when he's written them. The Word of God is not the ink. The Word of God is a person. And he has written that, not, not with ink, but he has written that with his blood on our hearts and in our minds. And he says that their sins and lawlessness he will remember no more. Why will he remember no more? Because where there's remission of sins, there is no longer offering of sin. It's done. It's gone. 
For he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus, by his blood, has remitted our sins. And there no longer needs to be an offering. Jesus paid the price. His price is more precious than silver and gold. Has paid for our sins. And he has, he has blotted them out. Go down to say verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. What's the holiest? That's where God's presence is. We'll spend some more time talking about that in just a minute. But because of the blood of Jesus, we have boldness to enter the presence of God. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Right. Before I go here, let's go back. Alright. Um, we'll spend some more time with some of these in just a moment. But what did the blood of Jesus accomplish? I'm going to give you ten things that that the blood of Jesus accomplished. These are not the only ten things, but these are ten things that I'm going to just highlight. Uh, I'm going to highlight, that's basically what I'm going to do right now, just highlight them, and we're going to come back and look at some of these things later in more detail. But the first thing I want to highlight this morning about what did the blood of Jesus accomplish? The first thing it did, he purchased us from the power of darkness. Jesus' blood, the blood of Jesus, purchased us from the power of of darkness and Acts 20 uh, excuse me twenty twenty eight. he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the sun uh, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. We've been purchased out of the, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of their love, their son. Which we're, we're going to read the next verse in Colossians. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of their son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. I hope it's making sense with you. I know my PowerPoint's being a little uh, on its own, has a mind of its own this morning. The second thing that the blood of Jesus accomplishes, he justifies us before God. He justifies us before God. And we get that from Romans 5, 9, much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We've been justified, we've been declared righteous by the blood of Jesus. The third thing that the blood of Jesus accomplishes is that it sanctifies us. We begin with Hebrews 10.10. By that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected whoever those who are being sanctified. Verse and 13 verse 12. Therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate. There's a lot here that I don't have time to go in detail. Right now I'm just making a list and highlighting that he has purchased us from the power of darkness by his blood. He justified us before God by his blood. He sanctified us by his blood. And number four, he redeemed us by his blood. We already looked at many of these passages of scripture, but Ephesians 1 and 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the preaching of his grace. 
<coughs> we also can look at Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song, saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Number, um, number five, the fifth thing that the blood of Jesus accomplished. He brought us near to God. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus you were once... You, who, let me read it again. But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. We were near, brought near God by the blood of Jesus. Number six. The blood of Jesus accomplished for us. It purged our consciousness. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more shall the blood of Jesus, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, to cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Number seven. He provided remission or forgiveness of sins. We'll begin with Hebrews 9.22. It says, According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. But Jesus did shed his blood, and we do have remission of our sins. This is also echoed by Ephesians 1.7, which we've already read. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of grace. There's a lot more scripture for all these the points I'm bringing out, and some of these we're bringing out over and over again, but that, that's our purpose because I, I, the Word of God is just filled with this concept of what the blood of Jesus accomplished for us. Number eight, the blood of Jesus gives us boldness to enter into the holiest, which means, for me, it represents God's presence. Okay, we've seen this already in Hebrews 10:19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Number nine, the blood of Jesus accomplished for us. It cleanses us from all sin. If we go to first, to first John 1 7, but if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It is also echoed by, again, Revelation 1 5. It says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And finally, number 10, the blood of Jesus accomplished us, for us, overcome, he overcomes the devil by our victory, which is our victory in Jesus Christ. And we get this from Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, and they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. And so there's a lot here I can elaborate on a lot of these verses, and we will be elaborating on a lot of these verses as we go forward. But the blood of Jesus accomplished a lot for us. And this is not an exhaustive list, and we can spend a lot more time on this list. But let's go again back to our key verse, which is we're talking about this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is, we're supposed to remember this. And there's two things that Jesus told us that we are to remember. We're supposed to remember that his body that was broken for us, and we are to remember as often, often, not just once in a while, not just on Easter or Christmas, not just when we become born again and we don't think about it ever again, 
<coughs> but we are to remember the new covenant in his blood. We are to remember this. And so many of us have gotten so far away from this. We've been talking about and teaching on so many different things, but the new covenant in his blood, something that we are supposed to remember often. And Jesus himself, before he went to the cross, said we are supposed to remember those often. And this is not just something that we remember through an ordinance like communion. And, and I, I encourage us all to do communion daily. Some of you, some people do it three times a day. But don't make the, the ordinance become something religious. It's supposed to be remembrance of the new covenant in his blood. It's not the communion that's powerful. It's the covenant in his blood that's powerful. And remembering that is powerful. If you're doing it just to please God, then you're a fool. You, you, you miss the message. Because you made something that's powerful something that's worthless. And that's called religion. Okay? Don't, 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 don't cheapen the grace of God by making it religious. But remember often the new covenant in his blood. Remember it. Okay? Remember often that in him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We need to remember this often. Do you know, and I, we'll spend more time with this later, but the burnt offering. In, in Leviticus chapters 1 through 5, there's five offerings that talk about what the blood of Jesus accomplished. And one of those, in, 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 in Leviticus chapter 1, it talks about the burnt offering. And Leviticus chapter 4 talks about the sin offering. I, the way I love summing up those two chapters together is 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteous God in him. <coughs> but the burnt offering the sin offering represents Jesus becoming our sin and going to the cross. He became our sin and he crucified his sin through Jesus. The burnt offering represents the righteousness, the unblemishedness of Christ being exchanged to us. Our sin went to Christ. He was crucified. His righteousness came to us and we were let go. We were like the scapegoat. We were left. We were set free. And so the burnt offering, offer, the burnt offering represents our righteousness. And do you know in the Levitical law, they were required to do a burnt offering twice a day, every day, at sunup and sundown. Twice a day, they were supposed to, let me go back to our key verse, they were supposed to remember the new covenant in his blood, their righteousness. They were supposed to remember that they have redemption through his blood. Do you know every time that they went to war, before they went to war, they were supposed to do a burnt offering? That's why, that's how King Saul got in trouble and lost his kingship. Because the priest was supposed to do that, and, uh, and, and uh, he wasn't supposed to go to war until, until Samuel, who was the priest at the time, was offering that for an offering. Okay? We need to be reminded. I mean, we are in a war. This is called spiritual warfare. The enemy is trying to shipwreck your faith. It's a fight of faith. Okay? This is a war. And we need to remember often the new covenant in his blood. And we need to remember often that we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according 
to hear the riches of his grace. We just finished talking about how much more in us we receive the abundance of his grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life to the one Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 17. And we need to remember often of the riches of his grace that we have been redeemed by his blood and we have received the forgiveness of our sins according to his grace. According to his unmerited favor towards us and his mercy. His mercies are new and fresh every morning. You know, his, his, his mercies are new every morning, but we're supposed to have a burnt offering every morning. According to, if we're supposed to have a, in the Old Testament, if they were supposed to have a burnt offering every morning and every evening, the, the, the bookends of every day, how much more should we not have the bookends of our day remembering this redemption that we have because of the blood of Jesus? We need the reminder. And we need the reminder often of the covenant of his blood. Okay? In other words, I'm not ashamed Excuse me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believeth for therein is the righteous God revealed from faith to faith as he's written in just little by his faith. We spent a lot of time talking about this in the last several weeks and months. Okay? But the gospel of Christ that we're teaching on this morning is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And I'm not ashamed of that gospel. I'm not ashamed of the new covenant in his blood where I have redemption and I have forgiveness of sins because of the riches of his grace. Church, the blood of Jesus has the power to forgive you from all of your sins. I want to say that again. The blood of Jesus has the power to forgive you of all of your sins. Understanding this crucial teaching that the blood of Jesus has the power to forgive you of all your sins is crucial to live a victorious life. See, the enemy fears this truth more than any other truth. And the enemy will attack this teaching the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus. I can't pronounce the word vehemently more than anything else. He would do it with all vigor. He would do it with all passion. He would do it with everything he has, everything in his arsenal to attack this teaching, the teaching of the new covenant in, the, in his blood the forgiveness and redemption of our sins because of what Jesus did. The enemy will attack this teaching above all other teachings. Because he knows how powerful it is. It's what he fears the most. He fears that you know it and that you will teach it to others so that they will know it. There is no other teaching that the devil will attack the most 
and teaching on the new covenant in his blood. See, if the devil can get you to believe the lie that your sins are not completely forgiven, the devil can keep you in sin consciousness, the devil can keep you defeated and condemned in your own thinking, and the devil can keep you fearful of God, not in walking in the fear and reverence of God, but being afraid of God. And the devil can keep you caught in a vicious cycle of failure. One of the things that set me free the most from any sin I had, and I, I used to have some addictions. I had some addictions. And the thing that set me free was understanding righteousness. Was understanding my forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. That did not set me free to sin. It did not set me free from sin. I was in a snare. And I didn't know how to get out. Some people think that when we teach on grace and righteousness, we're teaching people, we're enabling people to sin. That's not grace. Those who teach that, those who say, I teach that, are lying from the pit of hell because they're bearing false witness. You have not listened to one message I've said because I do not teach that. And those of you who teach that grace is giving people a license of sin, you're also lying against the Word of God, against the Holy Spirit. Because that is not what the Word of God teaches. Grace, according to Titus 2, 11 and 12, grace teaches you to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Grace doesn't enable you to sin. Grace sets you free from sin. And you can't be free from sin on your own merit. <coughs> Only the blood of Jesus can set you free of sin. If you think you're holy because of what you've done and how you have not sinned, you're putting faith in you, and that's the spirit of Antichrist. That is not the spirit of Christ. That is not the Spirit of God. That's not the Gospel of Christ. That is not the New Covenant. I'm here to exalt Jesus. I'm here to magnify Jesus. I'm all about walking righteously and holy. I'm all for holiness. I'm all for godliness. I'm all for morality. But I want and must be because we have faith in Jesus and His covenant and His blood. Not because you have faith in you. There's a difference. And if you don't accept the gospel of Christ, that you have redemption in his blood, you can be caught in an endless cycle of failure because you're putting your faith in what you do instead of putting your faith in what he did to set you free from you. And sin. See, the Gnostics... And they, 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 we don't hear about them too much anymore, but in Paul's day, in Peter's day, they were a challenge to the church. And they propagated um, against the deity of Christ. They taught that Jesus is not the Son of God. How many know Jesus is the Son of God? And his blood, see, if they could teach that Jesus is not the Son of God, 
They could also teach that his blood was not sufficient to, to forgive your sins. But Jesus is the Son of God. There will be a lot of teachings in these last days that will teach against Jesus being the Son of God. That's the spirit of Antichrist. And that's, that teaching will teach you away from the new covenant in his blood. But because Jesus is the Son of God, his blood is untainted by sin. And the blood of Jesus has the power to forgive you and me of all of our sins. The blood of Jesus expunges, blots out our sins as far as the east is from the west. The blood of Jesus is the blood of God himself because Jesus is the son of God. And it was shed for our sins. This is not a basic teaching. What I'm teaching right now is not basic. This is the gospel of Christ. This is the cornerstone of everything we teach. This is the main message that we teach. Okay? In the end times, and how many of you believe that we're in the end times? How close are we to the end of the end? I don't know. But in these last days, people will not be anti-God. They will be anti-Christ. Anti-Christ, anti-Christo in the Greek means against or instead of Christ. Any, anything that you replace Christ with, anything that you replace this new covenant in the blood with is the Antichrist message. I'm not saying they are the Antichrist, but the message that they convey is the spirit of Antichrist. Anything that against or instead of Christ is an Antichrist message. Okay? See, our Antichrist message <coughs> An antichrist message, excuse me, will devalue the deity of Jesus. An antichrist message will devalue the cross of Christ. An antichrist message will devalue the blood of Jesus. An antichrist message will devalue the new covenant. An antichrist message will devalue the gospel of Christ. And the Antichrist message will devalue our forgiveness through the new covenant and his blood. Will devalue our redemption. Will devalue our salvation in Jesus. Will devalue our sanctification in Jesus. Will devalue our justification in Jesus. Will devalue everything that we have in Jesus because of the new covenant and his blood. The new covenant of blood is foundational, is the cornerstone, is the main message of everything we teach. And in the last days, there will be a great delusion. There will be a great deception in the last days regarding the new covenant and his blood. And we need a revelation of Jesus. We need a revelation. We don't need so much a revelation of the end time events. We need a revelation of Jesus. 
That's what the book of Revelation that John wrote on the island of Patmos was about. Yes, it included end time events, but you, many of you have been so focused on end time events that you missed the whole message. The message is a new covenant in his blood. The message is Jesus. See, in these last days, we've always needed this, but especially in these last days, we need to preach the gospel of Jesus. In these last days, we need to preach the new covenant and the blood of Jesus. In these last days, we need to preach forgiveness and redemption in his blood. In these last days, we need to preach our eternal redemption. And we need to preach the finished work, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Okay? In these last days, again, we need to preach the new covenant in his blood. In these last days, we need to preach, we need preachers and teachers who, who preach Christ-centered messages. Who put the cross of Christ, the blood of Jesus, as the primary focus to all of their teachings. In this church, I know we taught about many different things, but the core, we always bring everything that we teach back to this new covenant in the blood. Because there's nothing else to teach. I'm not in this for the money. We're reaching over 14,000 people worldwide, and about 0% of you, less than 1% of you, are giving. So we're not doing this for the money. We're doing this to preach Jesus. We're teaching to preach the new covenant in his blood. <coughs> so if you want us to do more, we can't do more if we don't have support. Okay? That's a whole other message. But whether we have your support or we don't have your support, we're going to preach the new covenant in his blood. Okay? See, the central tenet in our messages, whether it's me preaching or you preaching, needs to be to exalt the name and person of Jesus Christ. The central tenet of our messages needs to be the new covenant in his blood. The central tenet in our messages needs to be the forgiveness, the complete forgiveness of our sins in the blood of Jesus, his new covenant. Okay? See, Jesus said, in the last days the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon all flesh. And Jesus said, but, but when he, the helper, comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. I'm all about the Holy Spirit. We preach the Holy Spirit. We preach speaking in tongues in this church. We preach the gifts of the Spirit in this church. But all of that is to testify of Jesus. Okay? Jesus also said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. To what? Why? So that you will be witnesses to me. We're supposed to do the same thing that the Holy Spirit does. Testify and be a witness of Jesus. That's why we have this power. <coughs> it's not about the gifts. It's not about the Holy Spirit. 
And we, we preach the Holy Spirit. We preach the gifts. But all of those, that gifting, all that power is to testify of Jesus. It's all to testify of Jesus. We need to teach the Holy Spirit. We need to teach it more. We need to teach the gifts. And we need to teach them more. We need to teach about prophecy. We need to teach about miracles and working of miracles and faith and all that. We need to do all that to testify of Jesus, to be a witness to Jesus. That's how, you know, that's how the Pharisees says, recognized the apostles, that these were unlearned men. But there was something about their witness that they saw and said that these men have been with Jesus. And these men who have been with Jesus under the power of the Holy Spirit were turning the world upside down without modern technology, without all the conveniences we have in our modern world. They, through the teaching and preaching of the blood of Jesus and the new covenant of Jesus, they turned the world upside down because they testified and made witness of Jesus. To the gospel truth, the new covenant of his blood is the only power that will set people free. And we can't compromise the message. We can't compromise the gospel of Christ. We have access to this, the riches of his grace by putting faith in Jesus and his new covenant, the new covenant of his blood. Our part is to believe. Our part is to receive. Our part is to testify and to witness Jesus. Our part is to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the new covenant and his blood. Okay. I'm going to go to Exodus chapter 12. But before I go there, before you read it on the screen, okay, Exodus so maybe you know the backstory. Israel is in Egypt. And you can read the end of Genesis to find out how they got there through Joseph and, and different things. But now several hundred years have passed by. And the new Pharaoh forgot that what the old Pharaoh did. They were there longer than basically the U.S. has been a nation. They were there a long time. You're like, how can that be? Well, our nation has forgotten what our forefathers did. Okay? So, it's not that hard. You know, you know some things are only one generation away from being extinct. And that's a whole other message. But they were in bondage. You know how God raised up Moses through the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. And Moses came to Pharaoh with a message. Let my people go. And then there was all these plagues that happened in Egypt to get Pharaoh's attention. Pharaoh hardened his heart to a point where God hardened his heart. And that's a whole other teaching I'm not going to go there. Finally, we get to the last plague, and that's the death of the, the, the firstborn. How many know Jesus is the Passover lamb? The last Passover took place at the cross. The first Passover took place in Exodus chapter 13, where we're going to go. Then the very first Passover, 
God gives Israel very specific instructions what they're supposed to do. And they're supposed to be doing this, but their shoes on their feet, their bags are packed, they're ready to go. They're ready to exodus out of Egypt and go to the promised land. They're supposed to be ready to go. This is what not just, the Passover wasn't something they were going to do in their convenience, lounging in their chairs. No, their, their, their bags are packed, their shoes are on, their coats are on, they're ready to go. But part of the instructions were that as they killed the lamb, for the Passover lamb, they would put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of the doorway. And this is what God says. He says in Exodus, Exodus 12 to 12, verse 13, Now the blood shall be a sign for you, when we're talking about the blood of Jesus, on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The blood shall be a sign to you. And the blood has always been a sign to us. We're talking about the covenant of his blood. And the, there's a sign. And it's supposed to be to us. Are the houses where you are. We are the house of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Bought with a price. What price? The blood of Jesus. We are the tabernacle of God. I can bring this all out in a lot of scriptures. You are the house of God. And he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's why I call it the Passover. Pass over. When I see the blood, I will pass over. And the plague, the death angel, the death of the firstborn will not be under. Why? Why the death of the firstborn? Why, why, why would not the deathborn, the firstborn, not die in that household when he sees the blood? Because the firstborn already died, the lamb. And I, I'll bring this out later. But the firstborn of many brethren, as the scripture brings out, is Jesus. He's the firstborn. And death will pass over us. Judgment will pass over us because there's already been a death. In the house where we are. And his name is called Jesus. This is the covenant. In his blood. The sign for us. When he sees the blood. And if we have received Jesus. Every plague. Everything of death. Yes death reigns through the one. Adam. But much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. Why? There's already been a death in the house. Our sign to us is the blood of Jesus. And, he, and when God says, when I see the blood, it wasn't because when I see that you're living right, I'll pass over. It's not when I see you, you, you went to church, I'll pass over. It's not that when I see that you did this, you read the Bible, I'll be passed over. It's not when you've done this or done that, I'll pass over. No, when I see the blood. The cornerstone of everything. The sign is not our good deed. The sign is the blood of Jesus. 
some of the fruit of the blood of Jesus of being redeemed is that we live right, we live godly, we live righteously, we live holy. That's the fruit. It's called the fruit of holiness, the fruit of righteousness. The Bible is very clear on that. It's the fruit. It's not the root. It's not the seed. It's the fruit. The fruit does not come first. What came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken. Because without the chicken, you wouldn't have had the egg. The egg, anyway, I'm not going to go there. Okay? When I see the blood, I'll pass over. See, John the Baptist said it this way. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the message we preach. Behold, Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's here. That's the message we preach, the covenant of his blood. Because this Lamb has taken away the sins of the world through his body through his blood, that we're supposed to remember and proclaim his death till he comes. Because to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us acceptable, he's made us acceptable in the beloved. Why? Because in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Church, we are preaching on the new covenant Everything we preach is based on the foundation of this message. Because when he sees the blood, all judgment will pass over. Now, I want to switch gears here as I begin to close out, and I'm not quite done. I've still got uh, 20 minutes left. Now, I want to talk real briefly about the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to look at the Old Testament Ark in brief detail. Brief detail, that was like oxymoron. And how it is an allegory of what we have in Jesus in the covenant of his blood. Now, you can read the details of the Old Testament ark in Exodus chapter 25, beginning verse 10, all the way down to verse 16. And I'm not going to read all that detail. This morning, even though I had it on the screen just for a brief second. But, so you can read the details of the ark in Exodus 25, verses 10 through 16. But if you fast forward to Hebrews chapter 9, the writer of Hebrews tells you what's inside the ark. Okay, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip to the cliff notes that the writer of Hebrews gives us. Which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant, overlaid on all sides with gold, explains all that in Exodus chapter, chapter 25, in which were three things. The golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, and we'll look at that in a minute, overshadowing the mercy seat, and we'll look at that, that, at that in a minute, of these things where we cannot speak in detail. So he's not going to speak in detail. I'm not going to speak in detail. Okay? About this. But there's three things inside this Ark of the Covenant. How many know the Ark of the Covenant? 
was a central piece of furniture for all of Israel, through the whole, especially through the Exodus from Egypt all the way to the Promised Land and even since then, until Jesus came. The Ark of the Covenant was the central piece of the tabernacle. When the Ark of the Covenant moved, they moved. The Ark of the Covenant was key to uh, Israel. And inside it were three things. The golden pot, the had manna, Aaron's rod abundant, and the tablets of government. <coughs> I know you probably heard a lot of things about these three things, and I'm going to give you one more this morning. And this might be one viewpoint that you, uh, you may have heard before. But to me, these three things that were hidden inside the Ark of the Covenant, that on top of the lid of it was a mercy seat where the cherubim of glory were. Well, we're going to get to there. That's where the blood was applied. But inside this ark were three things. And I believe these three things speak of man's rebellion. The first one was the golden pot that had manna. I believe this speaks of man's rejection of God's provision. The second thing was Aaron's rod of abundance. And I, I believe this speaks of man's rejection of God's appointed leadership. And the third thing, because if you read, if you read the story about how these things came about, it, it was based on man's rejection of God's provision, God's appointed leadership. That's how the whole story behind those things. And, and then the third thing was the tablets of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And I believe that was man's rebellion of God's standards, his precepts, his laws. Okay. You can have your own uh, theory about that, and that's fine. But that's where I'm going with today. But, so we have the Ark of the Covenant, and you have these three things that I just pointed out as man's rejection or rebellion of God's precepts, his provision, and his leader, appointed leadership. And then you have on top of the Ark, you have the mercy seat. Okay? And... On the mercy seat, you have the chairman of glory, which we're going to be looking at in just a moment. Okay. But there's one thing about this mercy seat I want to look at real quick. In Exodus chapter 25, that's when we read about the ark. We kept reading, we can read about the mercy seat. And I love this. So if you, if you got distracted by everything I've said, tune back in. Because in Exodus 25, 22, it says, I love this. And God says, and there... I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are the, are the Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of the Covenant, above everything which I will give you in commandment of the children of Israel. I just love this. God is saying, even in the Old Testament, this is where I will meet with you, this is where I will speak to you above the mercy seat between these two cherubim. I don't know about you, but when God says, I will meet with you in a certain place, and I will speak with you in a certain place, this echoes to me what he says in Psalm 91, He who dwells in the secret place 
of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Where's the secret place? Where's the secret place of the Most High? <coughs> I don't know about you, but he said, I will meet you here. There's a secret place where God says he'll meet with us. And he'll speak with us. And that is on the mercy seat. Okay? Where's the mercy seat? Well, it says in Leviticus, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with finger on the mercy seat. On the side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger. In the Old Testament, <coughs> when they sacrificed the lamb and the bull, and all that went with that, that's where the blood was applied. And it's where the blood was applied, that's where God says, I'll meet with you. We're talking about the covenant of his blood. And on the Ark of the Covenant, where he applied the blood is the mercy seat, and God said, I'll meet with you there, and I'll speak with you there. This is profound. I mean, God's given us a final exam with the answers. This is where I'll meet you. See, today, God doesn't have the blood of bulls and goats, but the precious blood of Jesus. And if you fast forward to Romans, and I'm going to read it from the Amphibine, Romans 3, 24, 25, all are justified and made upright in the right standing with God, freely and gratuitously by His grace, His unmerited favor and mercy through the redemption which is provided in Christ Jesus. Get ready, hold on to your seats, verse 25. Whom God put forward before the eyes of all as a mercy seat and, provi and propitiation by his blood, the cleansing and life-giving sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation to be received through faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over. Do we really hear that before? Exodus chapter 12, verse 13. And ignored former sins without punishment. Where did we hear that before? In Hebrews. He, he, he doesn't remember past sins. Folks, if you're, if you're not getting excited, your wood is wet. I, I gotta go back here because I think I lost some of you. We're talking about the covenant of God. It's illustrated through furniture in the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid with gold, and there are certain things inside of it that speaks to me, speaks of man's rebellion. And man's rebellion is hid inside this wood box, overlaid with gold. Wood speaks of man, gold speaks of God. God overlaid it with gold. And he's, he put his blood on the mercy seat. That was atoned for the, the sins of all mankind once a year in the Old Testament. He says, I will meet with you there. I will speak with you there between the cherubim. And then we fast forward to Romans. And God says, I have justified and made you upright in Christ's day with God by my grace. 
and favor and mercy through the redemption which is provided for you through my son, Jesus Christ, whom God, this, this, this forgiveness, this redemption is whom God put forward before the eyes of all as a mercy seat where God applies the blood, where God meets with us and speaks with us as a propitiation by his blood. And he talks about where this includes the cleansing, the life-giving sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation to be received through faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the Passover lamb and ignored doesn't remember former sins without punishment. This is so rich, folks. See, the blood, the punishment sin was, was paid in full. It was paid in full by the blood of Jesus, the covenant of his blood. Okay. Again, God said, when I see the blood, I'll pass on. Where's the blood on the mercy seat? Who's the mercy seat? Jesus. The covenant of my blood. The propitiation of our sins. Because he says, it's through the redemption in Christ, whom God put before all of our eyes as a mercy seat. Where the blood is atoned. And by his blood. But also a place where he says he will meet with us. And speak with us. In this place. Called the mercy seat. Okay. To the praise of his glory. By which he made us receptive in the beloved. We're receptive. So he can meet with us. He can talk with us. He can show us mercy. In him we have redemption through his blood that forgives us of sins according to the riches of his grace. See, it's here where he says, I will dwell with you in the secret place of the Most High God. His mercy, his mercy seat shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I think of the cherubim. Anyway, and he because, and he because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come to you. That sounds like Exodus. When, when I see the blood, it will pass over you. And because of Jesus, no sickness, no, nothing shall come upon you, shall come upon your dwelling place, the house of God, because he's seen the blood. Because he's seen the blood. Let's go back to the sherbet real quick. We got in Hebrews 9, the Ark of the Covenant overlaid with gold. We had the things inside it. And then he talked about the sharing of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. So the mercy seat, but overshadowing the mercy seat where God meets us in the blood of life is this cherubim of glory. And we see this cherubim of glory also in Exodus 25. It says, there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat between the two cherubims. Where did we first see these cherubim? When man sinned. 
in Genesis 3.23, And therefore the Lord sent them out of the garden of Eden until the, until the ground from which he was taken. So he drove them out, out of man, and he placed cherubim at the east. <coughs> Where else did we see the cherubim? Cherubim were, were embroidered when they made the, the bell that separated the, the, the holy place and the, the holy of holies to the holy place. They made a curtain, which was basically ten curtains sewed together. Okay, and it was it was blue and purple and scarlet thread, and embroidered on it was cherubim. Okay, and when you read Matthew at the cross, and Jesus cried out again with the last voice and yielded up his spirit when he died, and then <coughs> behold the bell of the temple that had cherubim embroidered on it was torn from two from top to bottom. You could not no man could have torn this, and definitely no man could have torn this from top to bottom. God separated where, where see the holy place spoke of man, the holy of holies spoke of the presence of God, and what separated the, was a veil. What separated was these two cherubim that represented the, the, the cherubim that ousted them from the garden when man sinned. But God, through Jesus Christ, has reconciled man back to God. And it's in the mercy seat that overshadowed by the cherubim that God says, I will meet with you, the propitiation for the sins of the world. This is not a basic teaching. This is the core of the Old Testament and New Testament ushering in a new covenant, the covenant of his blood. That God has forgiven us, redeemed us with the eternal redemption. And he said, there I will meet with you. There I will speak with you. There you have been forgiven and shown mercy. All of your rebellion is inside the ark. And no man can touch it. No man can open it. It's been covered by my blood. I ignore it. I won't remember it. No man can even see it because I have it in a box overlaid with gold and I have it on my mercy seat that's been covered by my blood and it's overshadowed by my cherubim. No man can touch it. I'm not meeting you inside the ark. I'm not meeting you inside the gold, the, the manna. I'm not meeting you with Aaron's rod of mother. I'm not meeting you with the Ten Commandments. I'm meeting you where I shed. catch up with myself here and where am I going to go next. This is, we're talking about the new covenant of his blood. See, these two cherubim, they also, if you, I can go back to it real quick. Actually, I'm not going to go there. See, if you study it out, the two cherubim, All they looked at was the blood. The eyes of the cherubim, they didn't look at inside the covenant. They didn't look at anything else. They only saw the blood. They were the guardians of God's holiness. 
and the veil, there was the, the veil that kept man from the tree of life. There was a veil that kept man from the Holy of Holies to, the, to, to, to come to the mercy seat. Because in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant where the mercy seat was. But when Jesus died once and for all, he let everybody full access to his mercy seat, to his propitiation. In other words, in the cherubim, they only saw the blood. They were protectors of God's holiness. But because of Jesus, the new covenant in his blood, God's, through Jesus, his blood, God's holiness was satisfied. And his people could now expect blessings. I don't have time to teach you. I'm out of time. I got one minute left. But when you study it out, the Ark of the Covenant, because wherever the Ark of the Covenant were, went, the people were blessed. I can teach you a story about Obed's house where the Ark of the Covenant got stuck in Obed's house because David was mad at God about something. And while the Ark of the Covenant was in his house, his family was blessed. They were blessed Physically, they were blessed financially. They were blessed because God's presence was there. His covenant was there. We don't have access to the covenant without the blood of Jesus. But now because of the blood of Jesus, we have full access to the mercy seat of God. We have full access to the covenant of God because of Jesus. And we can now expect God's blessing because of his covenant in the blood. That's why God was weeping much because no one was fit to open the scroll. But but no one was found to what to open the scroll. Read the scroll. I want you to look at the seal. But one of the elders said to me, "Do not weep." John was weeping before the cross. John was weeping before the ascension of Jesus. But one of the elders said, "Don't weep anymore." It could be all. <coughs> Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, had prevailed to open the scroll and loose the seven seals. And look, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though he had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are seven spirits of God, similar to all the earth. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation have made us kings and priests to open to our God and we shall reign on the earth. The next several chapters of the book of Revelation is telling you everything that was in the seals that were opened up that we call the end time events. And Heaven was rejoicing about these end time events. It was the blood of Jesus that enabled these end time events to take place. Because ushering in the kingdom of God. And everything that can be shaken will be shaken, but that which cannot be shaken will remain. 
So we're going to be looking at that in a little detail next week, hopefully next week. Because there's a, there's a bra that speaks for other things in that day, and that's called blood Jesus. Abel's blood spoke. He was the first man who was murdered on this planet. And his blood was speaking. But there was a man's blood that was shed that speaks of better things than that of Abel. And that is the blood of Jesus, the blood of his covenant. And so much that all of heaven became the same in a new song about how you and I, through the blood of Jesus, have been redeemed. Do you know that the creatures and elders that surround the throne of God are singing 24-7 about how you and I have been redeemed by his blood. You and I being redeemed by the blood of Jesus, this new covenant and his blood, is so powerful that the creatures and elders around the throne of God are singing a new song 24-7 about how we've been redeemed to God by his blood. That's profound. And we make light of it. We snuff at it. People want to kill you because you teach this. It's so profound. The Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament was the centerpiece of their tabernacle. It represented God's manifested presence. His majesty, His glory, His grace. Wherever it went, people were blessed. People were healed. People were honored. People, they saw victory. They took it to war. They got, they saw victory. And yet, everywhere, everywhere Jesus went, He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. We're talking about the blood of this covenant. We're talking about you having a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him that you will understand and be enlightened to know that what is the hope of this calling, what is the glory of the riches of the inheritance of the saints, what is the receding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power when he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above all principality, power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only that which has come, but he has put all things under his feet. And he has given him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who is all in all. There's so much I can elaborate on this. I'm out of time for the day. But we have an awesome Covenant with God because of His blood. We're going to expand on this over the next, expound on this over the next several weeks. God bless you. Have a great week. Amen and amen.